0: Welcome, friends, uh, to this bonus episode with my good friend uh, Samuel Say, who is a blogger, and he's going to be speaking uh, as our keynote at the Day of Action on June 23 and 24 here in Columbus. And uh, Samuel is was born in Ghana, West Africa. He moved to Canada when he's ten years old, and uh, this is where the pro life piece comes in, doesn't it, Samuel? Where your father suggested that you uh, he was he was of the opinion that you shouldn't have been born, he would rather you not. He walked out on you. So I guess that was the your the beginnings of your uh, understanding of how important the pro-life issue is. And of course, he's a former staffer of the Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform, which is one of my favorite organizations in North America. So Sam, thanks for coming back on. Um, I want to dive back in here where we left off. I'm going to read a comment from Clark so- Forsyth, who's I think a a pretty strong uh, thinker and writer on this topic. He he's he's the president of uh, Americans United for Life. He's written a book called Politics for the Greater Good. And I would suggest this to anybody that's interested in this debate between incrementalism and immediatism, or abolition, or however you want to call it, all or nothingism. I don't really care how it's talked. Uh, if you're interested in, in in getting the inside mind to the incrementalist. Uh, point of view. This book is the best. It's Politics for the Greater Good. And there's a quote in it that I think really kind of summarizes the incrementalist point of view. And it's one that I subscribe to. And that's this. He says, quote, because we live in a world of constraints, prudence tells us that if we cannot prohibit a social evil entirely, we can limit it through appropriate fences. So he refers to fences. And you can get the visual there, right? Building fences around a social evil as part of a larger strategy to secure justice precludes what can be prohibited now without admitting to the legitimacy of what remains prohibited, and that's what's so important that people understand. We're not saying when we ban abortion at, at a heartbeat or 15 weeks, whatever it is, that we're saying all the other ones that are allowed are, are continue to be allowed because of the current status of the law in America. That we condone, we don't. Uh, But it goes on to say, but limiting the harm done or lessening the negative consequences, we do not admit or support the rest of the evil that we do not have the power, legally or politically, to touch right now. I mean, I couldn't say it better. I think that's the position of uh, the pro-life movement as as a as a as a whole generally, and it has in my view, brought down Roe v. Wade. I mean, you cannot argue. If Roe goes, it was incrementalism that brought it down. It's a 15-week ban on abortion in Mississippi. It's the heartbeat bills. It's all these bills that have been passed over the last decade that the U.S. Supreme Court had to pay attention to. And finally, given the makeup of the court, it looks like they're going to overturn Roe v. Wade. So that's, to me, I don't see how you can beat that evidence. So- I want to I just want to talk to you about that because I've always been what I call an and both person. I w- I've supported abortion bans. I was part of that in 2006 here in Ohio when we introduced the first abortion ban, but I've also supported some incremental bills, not all, but some and part of it's be just because of the matter of time and resources. I just we're not a political group per se anyway, and we just have limited resources. We got to pick our battles, but I, I'm not crazy about a lot of these bills, but I can tell you this: the heartbeat bill was was well worth our effort, and it really changed the landscape politically in America, and in part led to possibly overturning Roe. So, uh, I know that you've written on this when your 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 current blog piece, "Why I'm Not an Abolitionist on, on Abortion," uh, they use the term abolitionist. Uh, you know, they say that they're the modern day abolitionists, they're abortion abolitionists, and they pattern themselves supposedly. Off of historical abolitionism, uh, you take a little issue to, to that. Yeah,
1: um, <laughs> you know it's it's incredible that it, uh, you know they, they take the name of abolitionist, but frankly they're not at all like them um, at all. Um, they might be closest to maybe William Lloyd Garrison, maybe, um, but not for they like literally.
0: to cite him, no doubt. Yeah, uh,
1: but they're but, but they're you know so they are an explicitly christian anti-abortion movement. So mm-hmm. they oftentimes like to try to claim over force as well. But the abolitionists were absolutely not um you know they were not the kind of abolitionists that these anti-abortion um uh, abolitionists are that you know like see, the abolition the original abolitionists were I would say very much like you and me in that they were immediateists in principle like we all are. They want mm-hmm. to ban abortion or uh, I should say in, in a slavery uh, immediately, the way we want to uh, ban uh, abortion immediately. Now unfortunately, just like within their movement, not every anti-abortion pro-life person is truly wanting to ban um, abortion just like as it was in their time, especially with um, you know politicians like Henry Dundas uh, in the um, in the mm-hmm. uh, in, in the UK in Britain. He was supposedly anti slavery, but he himself was not really um uh, keen on banning it very fast. So he delayed the slave trade ban for about ten years. Um so they model themselves after the or they claim they do um to model themselves after the abolitionists, but they're not um as I would say as wise as as they were in that they wanted to ban um slavery immediately, but they were willing to um, do whatever they can to rescue as many slaves as possible until they could ban all slavery, which is why um, they banned the slave trade first. Um, and then it took them th- it took them about 30, 40 years at least when when Uberforce joined the battle before they could ban the slave trade and then another 30 years or or more before they could ban slavery as a whole. And that is that is what has been helping us. Um, you know, grow in, um, you know, in banning um, uh, abortion in this country. And frankly, a lot of social movements, like the civil rights movement, learned from the original abolitionists and being incrementalists, they knew that mm-hmm. it is, frankly, it is foolish to think in a world that is completely against what you're fighting for, that you can start from, you know, all or nothing. No, it doesn't work. It's never been able to, um, you know, to work. You have to slowly, incrementally, gradually, step by step, frankly, negotiate with people that you disagree with before you can fully convince them to join your side.
0: Right. And they, they would take issue to the idea that they're an all or nothing yeah. uh, point, point of view. And, and, you know, OK, that's fine. But I wish we would just get past this whole conversation of the, say, you have the immediatists here and the abol- or the incrementalists here. We're all incrementalists. <laughs> we just are. Yep. Uh, even the abolitionists are incrementalists in that yep. they are p- deploying a state by state strategy. They're yep. not trying to ban abortion nationally. They're not trying to outlaw abortion globally. And mm-hmm. if they were truly an immediateist, they would want abortion ended all across the country all at once yep. and all across the world. But they're doing it state by state now they would say that's because we have a federal system and i'd say okay that's fair enough i mean that's the way to go about it i'm with you but it does bring up the question and i have brought this up before with them and that is if you ban abortion in oklahoma but you don't ban it in kansas do you value babies in oklahoma more than you do in kansas isn't that partiality as they would say isn't that valuing some babies based on their geography versus others based yeah. on their geography. To me, yeah. that's incrementalism. Let's all get past it and say, we're all incrementalists. We all want the same thing. Let's try to work together to get this done. I'm exactly. afraid we're not going to be able to get there, but I'm one that would love to see that happen.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, an, that's a great point. And I've, I've asked abolitionists that same question, and they will often bring up well, it's federalists, which, frankly, I think is a convenient answer um to the very issue
0: it's a plus of our system there's no question we're set up that way and that's a good thing but if we weren't and america was just one big country you know what would you do they do it because here's the thing they do it because it's pragmatic to do it they know they can't abort ban abortion at the federal level they can't get the congress to do it they won't get a president to sign it exactly tried and failed exactly
1: and then to, to your point about them, you know, all abolitionists being incrementalists, as I, as I mentioned in the article, um, a lot of, not every abolitionist, but a lot of abolitionists voted for Donald Trump. That's an incrementalist move. He is, Donald Trump is not an abolitionist. The argument, you know, in all. the article, I described a lot of abolitionists <laughs> as the anti-abortion never Trumpers. Um, now I don't want to shame anybody who didn't think they should vote for Trump. That, that's fine. But the never Trump uh, movement is basically no, it's never justifiable to vote for, uh, someone like Donald Trump just because they are better than Hillary Clinton. Well, a lot of people, a lot of people would say, well, look, they don't like a lot of things about Trump. He's not ideal. He's not perfect. But you know what? If we vote for him, he might be able to do something for the pro life movement. And look mm-hmm. and behold what has happened since then. Yeah. And that was an incrementalist. Vote. And not, again, not every abolitionist did, but a lot of abolitionists voted for Donald Trump. Well, why? He was—he's not an abolitionist. He's not a Christian. He's not a—he's not a, a a a man of of you know ideal character. He is a fallen human being. And frankly, um, you know, while I think you know I I admire a lot of what he did for the pro-life movement, but I think a lot of it was also a pragmatic move for him. Um, of I it was. I'm not completely really sold that he is as pro-life as you know you and I are, and yet. We voted. A lot of people voted for him because uh, we know that it would be good for the country. So then why then can't you do the same thing about pro-life incrementalist bills?
0: Right. Well, the abolitionists I know didn't vote for Trump, but there are plenty that did. And the point of the matter is now, and of course, nobody had a a crystal ball exactly, but Donald Trump's the reason why Roe's being overturned. I mean, it is. You can't point to any other reason other than that. And you can give the pro-life movement credit for supporting Trump and helping him to get into the White House for certain. But without Donald Trump, there is no overturning a Roe. It's just you can't separate the two. And, and in some ways, the pro-life movement doesn't even deserve overturning Roe because Donald Trump was the reason, mainly. Now, they did the right thing by voting for him and supporting him and fighting for 50 years. And I give them and us credit for that. But the Trump presidency is the reason why we have an overturning of Roe versus Wade. And people need to just come to grips with that as never Trumper should and just say, Hey, listen, I was wrong. <laughs> I was wrong. It was right to put him into office. And so it should be with, with some of our abolitionist friends. I'm trying to try to bridge the gap here. Now that over, if Roe is overturned, we're all going to be fighting at the state level. I don't want to fight with them. I don't want to fight with people that disagree yeah. with me. I think we ought to come together and try to figure out how to move the ball together forward together. Uh, yeah. and, and I'm afraid that's not going to happen, but I'm not going to stand in the way of, of bills that ban abortion from, from the beginning and also would treat uh, the unborn with equal protection. I'm just not going yeah. to do it. And I, I, think, I think that's the we, position the movement should take.
1: I, I agree with you. I, I say that in Canada, I am a so-called incrementalist. Um, in Oklahoma, Louisiana, uh, Ohio, which is now my, my state. I am an abolitionist because some states are different. Like I said, context. They are. Right. And I think, you know, you can, you know, and as I said in the article, people wouldn't say I'm an abolitionist, but I would say that, yeah, well, I am. I want to abolish uh, abortion, but I have a different strategy than some other people. And yet they are my allies. I love them. Unfortunately, many of them will not consider you and I their allies. In fact, some of them will say we are a bigger problem than even the. Abortion advocates. Planned, plan
0: terror. yeah.
1: Yeah, you know, but yet, you know, I admire them for a lot of the things they're passionate about. And I've learned a lot of things from them. Um, you know, but what concerns me, as you said, about this division is we have the so-called, you know, from womb to tomb pro-life people. We have a lot of pro-life people who don't don't believe that, um, you know, pre-born babies should receive justice in terms of criminalization um, or, you know, their, you know, killers being penalized. And then, unfortunately, you also have the abolitionists who think that, uh, while they wouldn't say it this way, that the all-nothing approach should be the only way. And there's so much division, you know, at a time when we have an opportunity to really bring justice for preborn babies. And it's really mm-hmm. concerning.
0: It is. And I, I'm glad that, and again, I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but if Roe is overturned, that eliminates one of the areas of division where they would say you divide, defy Roe, just ignore it. I'm glad a pro-lifers didn't ignore it for the last 50 years. (laughs) I can tell you that. I'm glad that they elected Donald Trump and Donald Trump put three justices on the Supreme Court that turned the tide on Mm -hmm. Roe. So I'm glad that we didn't defy, we didn't deny. We fought within the system, admitting and openly saying that Roe is not law, that it is not, it's just an opinion of the U.S. Supreme Court. It's not constitutional right. We made that case for 50 years. But hopefully now that Rose out of the way and we're at the state level, we can agree that we need to ban abortion and we can work towards it together. Uh, mm-hmm. I want to bring up another argument that we hear often from our friends uh, on the abolitionist side of the, uh, of the aisle, which unfortunately there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that is that And this is the argument that they that I heard over and over again during the heartbeat bill here in Ohio, where there's eight years of this going on. And they would say this, say for next heartbeat bill, for an example, they would say, well, it's not enforceable. It's not enforceable because the abortionist or the person performing the ultrasound can simply just move the ultrasound monitor to wherever they want and not detect the heartbeat and therefore go ahead and perform the abortion. And to that, I say, well, yeah, okay, that, that's possible, I guess, sure. But isn't it, isn't it true of every law that we pass? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> that you pass a law, you you're, you're, you're trying to require people to follow it. So if yeah. you take the notion that we shouldn't pass laws because people will break the law, That's not a good reason to not pass the law because that's what the pro choicers say. They say, well, if you ban abortion, people are going to do it anyway. I can tell you this I'm not going to make that argument. That's exactly (laughs) what the abolitionists make on heartbeat bills and others who are not total bans. They'll say, oh, well, they're just going to break the law anyway. The abortionists are liars. They're murderers. Therefore, they're not going to follow the law. Well, that may be true to a certain degree, but that's not a reason not to pass the law. We need to enforce the law just like yep. any law, whether it's a ban or whether it's a partial uh, an incremental law. So I don't know why abolitionists are making the pro-choice argument that if you pass a law, they're going to break it anyway. What's the point?
1: It's unfortunately, and this is going to offend many people if they're not offended already. It's un- They're making the similar argument because unfortunately, just like the pro-abortion advocates, they see the pro-life movement as their enemy. Um, and this is not just me saying it. Like, that's interesting. I've never looked many, at it that way. Yeah, there are many groups, um, you know, many abolitionist groups that do say that the pro-life movement is the biggest problem uh, in the abortion issue. Uh, not Planned mm. Parenthood. Uh, not not the the abortionists. It's the pro-life movement. Therefore, they will borrow some of the, even if even even if it's unintentional, they will start to pair it because, in some mm. sense, the old proverb is the. Um, The enemy of my enemy is my friend. And that's a harsh statement in many ways. But it's a reality where, you know, oftentimes a lot of the arguments that they're making is very similar to, sadly, what the abortion advocates say.
0: Yeah. And I'm not sure they're doing it uh, intentionally. Uh, Maybe they are. Maybe they're not. I don't know. But they certainly are making that argument when they say heartbeat bills are going to be violated because the abortionist or the ultrasound tech is not going to detect heartbeat. I'm like, well, that's not a good reason. I mean, that's like saying if you ban abortion, women were going to go into the back alleys. I mean, yeah. it's the same problem. Uh, yeah. We need to enforce the law, even if it's hard to enforce. And let me just say this. I've interviewed a former abortionist on this, and I asked them, if you were an abortionist today and a heartbeat bill was passed in your state, what would you do? And despite what most people believe about abortionists, most of them won't break the law. They won't look what happened in Texas. They're shutting down. (laughs) Look what happened, I think, in Oklahoma. They closed a bunch of abortion mills just because this bill was passed. It's not like they're gonna overtly defy the laws and and risk their licenses because a lot of these aren't just abortionists, they're OBGYNs, they wanna keep their credibility and their license in the medical profession. So just to say, oh, they're murderers, they're gonna break the law anyway is a lousy argument, I think, because I think they're going to try to follow the law as best they can. And we've seen that with other laws that they pass. Sure, people are going to break the law, but they're going to do that with anything. A law is no guarantee that you're going to zero out a behavior. All you're exactly. going to do is build a fence around it to try to restrain it. That's all these laws are all about, whether you ban abortion or you restrict it. Exactly. Including, as you
1: suggested, even the abolitionist bill, even a ban, um, even a bill that would ban all abortion, you're still going to have some people who might uh, want to break it. That's just the nature, unfortunately, of human nature. Uh you know, Correct. you see that with murder today. It's illegal to murder anybody. It still happens. Mm-hmm. Um and again, I, I keep mentioning the original abolitionists because I want to explain to people how uh inconsistent the modern, so called modern abolitionists are to the original abolitionists, in that the arguments that, well, if you if you ban if you have an incremental bill, well it would just, you know, it would people will break it. Well, that was the argument that some pro-slavery people were using against the abolitionists. The original, they were mm-hmm. saying, well, guys, if you ban the slave trade, well, it would just create an underground um, slave trade. That was the argument. So it's bizarre that the so-called abolitionists today are embracing the arguments from the enemies of the original abolitionists the same mm-hmm. way they are embracing the arguments from the enemies of the pro-life movement today being the abortion advocates.
0: Yeah. And real quickly, I want you to just delve into William and Wilberforce. I know that there's, uh, you know, those on the one side abolitionists say that he was a absolutist, uh, you know, an ab- immediatist, and there's others that say he's an incrementalist and, you know, some are trying to revise history here. Uh, I think the evidence is clear that he was incremental. If you would kind of share your, your view of that as much as you have understood the history uh, of the abolitionist movement, because I think they they want to adopt him as a poster child for their oh, yeah. position.
1: Yeah, a uh, a good friend of mine mentioned that whoever you know, whoever can have the strongest argument um, for proving whether Wilberforce was a you know a or like the way the abolitionists are or claim they are, anyways, and then you know, or or the incrementalists like us, whoever can prove where Uberforce really stood wins the argument. Uh because of a, because rightly, you know, we we lionise Uberforce as we should. Um mm-hmm. well the issue yeah. is there are a lot of abolitionists who 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 have some quotes from from Uberforce and Uberforce is using strong words about gradualists within the abolitionist movement. And they claim that Uberforce was really talking about um so called incrementalists within the abolitionist movement against slavery but that's not what he was really addressing he was addressing people like henry dundas who i mentioned his name before who was a british um politician who claimed he was against slavery but at every turn while he would support uh bills to end the slave trade he would delay it up to 10 years right now there are as we've said there are people in the pro-life movement today that we acknowledge that they don't really want to ban abortion but it's not that they are gradualist or incrementalist that's a problem Instead, said they don't really want to ban abortion that's what um that's what sorry that's what was addressing in some of his, his quotes he wasn't addressing some of his friends he was not addressing himself he was addressing people who did not really want to ban the slave trade or slavery mm-hmm. but he himself was an incrementalist as i mentioned he supported bills to limit the the uh the number of slaves on slave ships he supported uh, b- bills or motions to limit the number of, of slaves that could be sold at a shipping port. He himself banned the slave trade before he would ban slavery. His main goal was to ban slavery, but he knew it was impossible at the time. He knew that all he could do was ban the slave trade first, and then when the the culture at the time in Britain was more uh, had be- had become more anti-slavery by the slave trade ban, then he could move them towards uh, banning slavery as a whole.
0: Well, in order to finish up, I, I want to be an equal opportunity offender, so we're going to deal with one last issue, and that is an issue I have and have had with the pro life some pro life leaders, others, and I, you know, I'm not going to name names. I don't know their hearts. I can't tell mm-hmm. the motivations behind this, but I think with the overturning of Roe versus Wade, it's going to get real, as Joe Biden has said. It's going to get real, meaning we are now no longer in some kind of theoretical uh, legal landscape. We know what it looks like. Now state legislatures can move to allow abortion restrict it severely. And it's really going to put uh, our words to the test. Do we actually are we going to do what we said we wanted to do for 50 years? Are we actually going to do it now? And I've already seen some concerns uh, amongst some of our pro life friends. Governor, I think it's Hutchison in, in Oklahoma, has already said he wants to put rape and incest exceptions in, a, in a, a bill that banned abortion altogether. There are indications that we're trying to try to, you know, smooth out some of our rhetoric. Uh, and I, I think you would agree with this that there are legislators, there are politicians who, Pro, you know, they'll they'll campaign as a pro-lifer in order to get the pro-life vote. But when it comes down to it, they really don't want to end it. And yeah. I think that we're going to find out who those people are. Uh, yeah. And a lot of people were satisfied for that with that up until this point. But now mm-hmm. it all changes. And, and I'm I for one am thankful that Rose out of the way so the veil can be pulled back that no longer can we as pro-lifers use Roe v. Wade as yeah. an excuse. I never have. Yep. I've never said we needed to bend the knee to row. I've never said we need to make our laws to comply with Roe v. Wade. I would yep. support some of those on the way to ending it. But I was yep. always saying, let's challenge it. Let's defy it. Let's do everything we can so we don't recognize it. But now that it, it, it likely is going to be out of the way, this becomes a reality. Yep. And um, I, I want you to speak to that. I, and I'm not broad brushing here. I can't even name names. But we're going to find out who's serious about this and who's not.
1: Oh, absolutely. I think the vast majority of the pro-life movement, pro-life advocates are very sincere and want to ban abortion. But a lot right. of the pro-life politicians, I am not convinced. While many of them, I think, are sincere, not all of them are. Frankly, a pro-life politician's biggest, um, biggest goal too often is not to save the baby, it's to save the political career. And oftentimes, I think, when, they are, when they're going to have the opportunity to ban abortion with zero exceptions, I think we're going to see, frankly, a lot of people reveal who they are. A lot of people are going to say, well, hmm, yeah, I might have a lot of support from pro-life people on this, but this could hurt my political career. And I think we're going to see, sadly, a lot of people uh, showing their true colors. Um,
0: well, hopefully- and to them, I say primary uh, I mean, if they're not ready to outlaw abortion altogether, primary them. I mean, run yeah. candidates against them to defeat them. I mean, that's where we're at. We're no longer going to settle for this to play under the rubric of Roe v. Wade. And so, yeah, uh, yeah you're right. I think people are going to show their true colors. We'll get behind the ones that have been consistent in their political careers and those that are wavering on all of this. Uh, it's time to run candidates that want to end it all. So I think that's. That's the ag- exhortation I have to our pro-life friends. My guest mm-hmm. has been Samuel Say, and you can go to his website at uh, slowtoright.com. He has a recent blog post called Why I'm Not an Abolitionist on Abortion. I exhort you to read that. Uh, Samuel will be speaking uh, at our Day of Action here in Columbus on June 23 and 24. You can find out more about that by going to createdequal.org. Samuel, thanks for being on the show. Thank you so much, sir. It's truly an honor. I look forward to seeing you in a couple of weeks. Uh, We'll see you next time. God bless you. God bless America. And remember America to bless God. You've been listening to Mark Harrington, your radio activist. For more information on how to make a difference for the cause of life, liberty, and justice, go to createdequal.org. To follow Mark, go to MarkHarringtonShow.com. Be sure to tune in next time for your marching orders in the culture war.